Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. You ever heard that saying, love is blind? Never applies any more than it does to a couple who's about to get married, does it? Love is blind. Let me tell you something about love. It's also deaf. It also can't smell. Otherwise, there'd be a lot of women that would leave that dude at the altar. Uh, love is tone deaf sometimes. Love can be profane, at least in that sense, not the love that scriptures speak about, that, that that sort of puppy love sort of thing that we all felt right before we got married can be, if you're not careful, profoundly stupid. And so it's in the middle of that that you don't realize what you will realize up to one year after you say your vows. There are going to be some things that are going to be discovered in those first 12 months of marriage that annoy you greatly about the other person. And that's true for your pastor and his wife as well. Our first year of marriage, Amy and I were learning about those small things that annoyed us about each other. And, and, and here's what Amy learned that annoyed her. It was that I love frosting, cake frosting, okay? Let me be clear about this. I can't do this anymore for a multitude of reasons that would result in my untimely death. But, but when I was in my early 20s, there was nothing, I mean nothing, like a tub of Betty Crocker and a spoon. Can I get a witness? That's, that's good stuff, man. It's just awesome. Now, it would annoy my dear wife because she would go to bake a cake. She would go to do something. She was going to need that icing, and about half of it would be gone. But then I discovered something else. I discovered, uh, because of her reaction to my love of tubs of Betty Crocker, that she would just make her own. So she made her, started making her own homemade icing to go with the, the cake. So literally everything was from scratch. And I discovered in that first year there was something better than Betty Crocker frosting. It was Amy Rainey frosting. And so it didn't, that thing that annoyed her didn't go away. The other thing that annoyed her was I would often come into the kitchen, whether it was frosting or whether it was something else, if I smelled something incredibly good, and I would just start taste testing, and I would get, um, I, well, I would become what Amy still to this day calls underfoot. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? My husband is underfoot. He needs to get out of my way. I'm trying to do stuff here. And, and so sometimes it's because you're grabbing your wife. Sometimes it's because you're grabbing something your wife has fixed for you, but I would sometimes do both. I would reach around, give her a quick hug, and then I would reach over and I would grab something or I'd get a spoonful of something. And if it was going to be something just the two of us were eating, I'd eat it right out of the pot. Those were the two things that, that kind of annoyed her. They're like, get out of my way. I'm trying to get this done. Would you please leave me alone? Would you please stop eating out of the pot? Would you please stop drinking out of the carton? And one faithful day, those two things, cake frosting and me getting underfoot, collided. I walked into the kitchen. She was baking a cake, and I saw that icing, the, the, the Amy Rainey icing. And I walked over, I reached over her, stuck my finger down in it, got a big dollop, very quickly shoved it in my mouth, and I just as quickly spit it out into the sink. And my wife at that point was no longer saying, 
get out of here. What are you doing? I'm trying to get stuff done. Would you leave me alone? She was giggling. I think she did it on purpose. And the reason she was giggling is because there was one very crucial ingredient that she had not yet added to the frosting was the sugar. And when you leave sugar out of frosting, you know what it tastes like? Rubber. That's what it tastes like. That's why it went out into the sink. And so we have a good laugh. She still laughs about that today. Here's the thing. That wasn't really frosting, even though it looked like frosting. It wasn't the real thing. You know why it wasn't the real thing? Because there was an essential ingredient missing. Several weeks ago, we started this series in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. We, we looked and we're, we're calling this series Blessed or blessed. You see that word blessed all over social media. It's a hashtag that Christians have used to describe all manner of things. Most of the time it has something to do with a new car, promotion at work, or a healthy relationship, or something along those, time, those lines. And, and what most of the world describes as blessing has not been as guaranteed in this last year, has it? And so our elders and I together over the spring and summer talked about this. Maybe it's a good time while we're aware of some of the pain that we're all having to endure in 2020 that we remember that our understanding of what it means to be blessed is not always Jesus' understanding of what it means to be blessed. More specifically, what do we do when all of those things we've associated with blessing or even some or most of those things we've associated with blessing are taken from us what do we do then is there a way to live blessed is this really in Matthew chapter 5 a state of being that's not attached to any of those things and it forces us to ask some of those questions and the wonderful thing about a moment like we're experiencing right now is these eternal words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 define for us the blessing of God and so today I want to ask a really simple question it's the same question that I asked when I stuck my finger down in, in that fake icing what is the difference between genuine blessing and something that just looks like blessing how do we tell the difference between the two. And Jesus answers that question in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What's the difference between something that is merciful and something that just looks merciful? You know, it's easy, especially in our culture, to look Christian on the outside, isn't it? We can cross every T and dot every I theologically. We can know the Bible forwards and backwards. We can participate in all the right causes according to all the, all the junk mail you've been getting in your mailbox leading all the way up until Tuesday. You can even vote the right way. It's been interesting, again, to see Trump supporters insult Biden supporters and Biden supporters insult Trump supporters and all of that under the guise of Christianity. But the one essential ingredient that seems to be missing in that is mercy. For the other person. So what's happening? What's happening? What's happening is, is we can look one way but not actually be that way. And the simple message of verse 7 is this. Christians are those who at the judgment seat of Christ will obtain mercy. And the way you know you're going to get mercy in the next life is you exhibit mercy in this one. You know, sometimes when people are dedicated to something, they, they use a metaphor of cutting and bleeding, don't they? If you cut me, I bleed, dot, dot, dot. All right? So you guys know, if you're part of the Covenant family, that I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the Clemson Tigers. I grew up 45 minutes from Death Valley. You spent a lot of my weekends there watching them play football. 
And I have often said in the context of a discussion about college football, if you bleed, if you cut me, I bleed orange and purple, right? And of course, if you were watching that Boston College game with me yesterday, you know, I, I, we came close to just flat bleeding. And that was close, wasn't it? But that's what we talk about. If you cut me, I bleed. This is essentially the message of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. If you cut a follower of Jesus, they bleed mercy because that's the essential ingredient on the inside. Just like if you slice open some, somebody, you expect to see blood. That's just what's on the inside of the human body. Mercy exists in the soul of every Christian. And the reason for that is because mercy is one of the most fundamental attributes of God. In Exodus chapters 33 and 34, you've got this narrative where Moses, in the middle of his experiences, is begging the Lord, show me your face. I find it amazing that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you and I get to do something Moses never got to do, which is to walk with boldness right into the presence of God. At that moment, that was not possible. And so Moses' request was answered by this phrase from the Lord. You cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. Moses, I love you too much to do this to you because you can't have this experience and survive. And yet in the very next chapter in Exodus chapter 34, we read the following. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the same one whose face you cannot see because you are morally separated to that degree from him. He is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. If this is who God is, then the principle Jesus is teaching is that those who belong to God live in those attributes. This is what we read from the 18th Psalm. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to answer two questions. Number one, what are the characteristics of mercy? And number two, what's the dividend of mercy? What's it pay out? So let's, let's take that in that order. First of all, by asking the question, what are the characteristics of mercy? Matthew 5, 7 gives us two primary characteristics of mercy. Number one, mercy is compassion put into action. Blessed, Jesus said, are the merciful. The merciful. Those who take pity on people who are in an ill estate, it's compassion. And compassion is the most accurate synonym for mercy. The, the Latin root is actually a compound word. It's co-passio. It literally means to suffer alongside of someone else. And so true compassion is not just feeling sorry for somebody. It's not just watching CNN or Fox and seeing a tragedy and going, oh, man, that's awful, and then switching over to Sports Center. Compassion means I enter into the suffering with you. To have compassion means I'm here with you. There's a story about a 19th century British preacher came across a close friend of his whose, whose horse had accidentally been killed. And I know some of you guys own horses around here. This, this, if you lose a horse, it's painful. It's emotionally devastating. But I, I think probably for most of us, it's not a life or death situation. That wasn't true in the 19th century. This man needed this animal in order to live, and now this animal is gone, and he's got all kinds of gawkers coming by, wondering what happened, wondering how this could happen. Some of them even blame-shifting, wondering how this man could have allowed it to happen. You have others still in the middle of all of this, kind of gathered around this, this dead horse, talking about how sorry they are. 
talking about how unfortunate this is until finally this pastor who was a friend of this man, dear friend of this man who'd lost his horse, stepped up, took out five British pounds, threw it in a hat, and started passing the hat. And he said, I'm sorry, five pounds. How about the rest of you? That's compassion. It doesn't just gawk. It doesn't just gossip. It doesn't just say, oh, this is awful. It actually enters into the world. It, it's, that's what God did for us. He didn't just feel sorry for us. He took action in the person and the work of Jesus and throughout not just his death, but his entire life, he suffered with us. That's compassion. You ever felt that from another person? I know our family has felt that from you all that we felt it from, from dear friends of ours all over the world. Such a delight to have felt that over these last couple of weeks. There's nothing quite like it, is there? You get a bad report from the physician, you lose a loved one, you, you lose a job, you go through a divorce, you have financial difficulty, and then you look up thinking that everything is hopeless, and all of a sudden, there are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you, that's how you got saved, wasn't it? You didn't even know about Jesus, and it was that moment when you were in your deepest pain and you looked up and you saw his followers running reflexively toward you and toward your problem. Not just gawking, not just looking at, around, not just gossiping on social media, not expressing cheap words of pity and triteness, but stepping into that moment with you. And you now know the God of mercy because you were introduced to him by people who were merciful. That's compassion. The willingness to suffer alongside another. Mercy doesn't just pity, it takes action. The other thing about mercy is it's forgiving. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. The basic idea of this term is to give help to the wretched and to relieve the miserable. And where God's mercy is concerned, it's always shown to undeserving people. That, by the way, is another way of saying that in my demonstration of mercy to another person, if it comes from God through me to that other person, it's not dependent on the actions of that other person. It's not dependent on the attitudes of that other person. It's not dependent on the behavior of the other person. One of the, one of the curses of cultural Christianity. The fact that in this country, for all of its history, Christians have enjoyed, number one, being in the majority, and number two, having some measure of, of power and influence. I'm not saying any of those are necessarily wrong, but I am saying when you have the majority, when you have power, when you have influence, you have to be careful that you don't use that for sinful purposes and you don't build idols of those things. And one of the curses of us being in that place culturally in the West is something called moralism. <clears throat> moralism says, this is basically moralism in a nutshell, God helps those who, yeah, so you got it, that's moralism. God helps those who help themselves. That's moralism. You know what it does? Moralism, and here's what's so sinister about it. It, it. it takes something that's actually true. It twists it in a satanic way to communicate something to us that God never said. More specifically, it takes the truth that I am responsible for my own actions, and so are you, 
and it twists it until it is applied in a way that it says it's okay for followers of Jesus to be merciless toward people who are suffering. Especially if we determine that it was through poor choices of their own. I remember when our first work began with opioid addiction. I remember the Sunday we launched One America, West Virginia from right here on this spot. I remember someone who's unfortunately no longer part of our body. You know, I'm not outing anybody because I have these conversations all the time. It's a large church. Who came up and who said, I don't know why we're doing this. And I said, well, this is a drug that kills one out of every 2,000 people in this county, one out of every 1,200 in neighboring Berkeley County. I, I think the church has something to offer to that. I think there's some service we need to be providing. And I remember hearing this. You know, it's not going to do any good. Those people are lost and they're hopeless and it's all their fault. They're the one chosen to stuck a needle in their arm. I don't know why I've got to spend money and resources and do everything else and have compassion on somebody who just made a dumb decision. And by the way, the conversation ended in this way. And I don't want any money that I give to this church going to that. Now, there's a lot of ways you could respond to something like that. But I found that the best way, the most appropriate way to respond to that attitude is by just saying, thank God Jesus did not treat us that way. Thank God the Lord Jesus didn't treat me that way. If you cut a follower of Jesus, you don't get moralism. You get mercy. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. You get a willingness to suffer alongside of others regardless of the reasons for their suffering. Look at what James reminds us of in James chapter 2. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So let me, on behalf of this entire church body, say this to the COVID victim, to the unemployed, to the trafficking victim, to the person who's just gone through a divorce, to the person who needs mercy at this moment, to the addict and to the suffering. The first thing you will hear from us is not what did you do? How wrong could you be? You know that's a sin. The first thing you are going to hear is I'm sorry you're hurting. We are here for you. Pastor, don't we enable people in bad behavior when we do stuff like that? No, that's not enablement. Enablement is when you give them everything they want. And that's not what I'm talking about. Mercy is not enablement because mercy gives that person what God wants them to have. And you know what the first thing is in mercy? You know what the first thing you get in mercy? It's a listening ear. It's a willingness to come alongside. It's a person willing to suffer alongside. The letting go of whatever they may have done to themselves that's resulted in that miserable condition. Mercy, brothers and sisters, says to that person, I love you when they feel abandoned by everybody else. It says, I am here for you when they have been left to fend for themselves. And mercy, more specifically, runs toward trouble, toward heartache, toward hardship. When everybody else in the world is running away from it, seeking comfort for themselves, Jesus says, those who have and will benefit from God's mercy are merciful. This is what it looks like. To be full of Jesus is to be full of mercy. Without that essential ingredient, 
You just look like a Christian. You say, well, how do, how do I exhibit that? Well, you look back on what you have received, and then you look forward to what you are yet to need. That brings us to the second question. What's the dividend of mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is distributed to the merciful. See, when, when I reached around my wife right, quite playfully years ago, and I I shoved all that not-yet-ready icing into my mouth. That was the funniest thing she's seen in a while. But I know this. I know this. I know she would have never put that icing as it was on that cake. She wouldn't have done it. Not until that essential ingredient was added. She wasn't going to have any of that until everything was in there that needed to be in there. Jesus says here, you want to receive mercy? Because it only goes to those who have this essential ingredient. It only comes to the merciful. This is the acid test of someone who will receive the mercy of God at the judgment, that they themselves are merciful. And, and the reason that's true is because God himself is mercy. So when God has truly changed your heart, you will be merciful. When he has not, you will not. First John chapter 1, verse 6 reminds us, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We so often rightly apply this to sins of commission, things God's told me to avoid, things he's told me not to say, not to do, to stay away from, and I commit those things anyway. And if I continue to do that, this isn't, a, this isn't saying if you sin once, if you rebel, that somehow you're losing your faith or anything like that, but it is saying this, if your entire life is is characterized by consistently doing what God has said not to do, then you're walking about in darkness and you're lying to yourself if you say you belong to him. But you know what's just as true? Not just sins of commission, but sins of omission. Brothers and sisters, when God gives us direct instructions from the throne of heaven through his written word and we ignore it, rationalize it, say it's not really our responsibility, we too walk about in darkness and we're lying to ourselves if we believe in that moment that we belong to Jesus. If you have no mercy to people in distress, if you are not willing to suffer alongside the vulnerable. You do not possess the same merciful nature as Jesus, and you do not belong to Jesus. And by the way, this predates the coming of Christ. It predates it. Anybody ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? We, uh, a lot of people like to bring up Sodom and Gomorrah, but they like to kind of choose the sins that were named there, don't they? And, and for more conservative evangelicals, it's, it's the sexual sin that we point to. So look at, look at what they were doing. There are people sleeping with people they shouldn't be sleeping with and all this kind of stuff was happening. And that's why God judged them. Well, that's part of the reason. Yeah. Yeah, it is. God takes sexual sin very seriously. That's absolutely true. What gets conveniently ignored, though, is where we so often say, or just ignore this, this fact, God also judged them for the way they treated the vulnerable in their society. He did. For the minority, 
for the people who didn't have the power, the people who didn't have the influence, the people who were left behind and apparently people of Sodom, the people of Gomorrah got this idea in their heads that, well, I've, I've got all this because I earned it. They haven't earned it. They made dumb decisions. They did this. They did that. They made their bed. They can sleep in it. God destroyed that city for their lack of mercy. And that's not a works-based salvation. That's simply saying if you want to receive mercy, you must first, if you, you, must, you must demonstrate mercy. That, that shows that you have received it. They didn't have the mercy of God. But if you're a compassionate person, a forgiving person, it's because the Holy Spirit has brought you to realize something. You need that mercy as well. See, it, it's easy um, from a cultural standpoint if this pastor is standing next to a heroin addict, standing next to a prostitute, standing next to anybody that society as a whole might look at and think if they saw them standing next to me, that, man, they, they've got it bad. They've got it far worse off than Pastor Joel. I, you know, that kind of thing. People we would, we would be tempted to be condescending towards. But here's the, here's the issue with that. And, and some of that may even be their fault. They've made dumb decisions and they've done some things that have got them in that place. But if I... I have compassion on them, and I suffer with them, and I do everything that's embodied in Jesus' statement here for them for this reason. Brothers and sisters, in that moment, it might seem like I don't need the same level of God's mercy that they do, but it just seems that way. I need the mercy and the grace of God just as badly. And if I think I don't, I have either forgotten the gospel or I've never believed it. Because the reality is, what I have done to a holy God is far worse than whatever that person did, which means my need is far greater. Now here is the best news in the world that comes right on the heels of that bad news. When I show compassion to another, it's because I recognize that need is far greater. That's evidence that the mercy coming to me is far more glorious than anything I could give to another person. You ever paid it forward? Like you get something and you decide, man, I'm going to share this with other people. There was actually a movie called Pay It Forward. It came out years ago. We, we had a guy in our church um, here. Some of you may know James Perkins. James passed away, was taken suddenly from us. We celebrated his life together right in this room back in February. And James, well, James' most tangible way of paying it forward was through barbecue. And that dude could cook a pig. I'm telling you, it was awesome. And you could never get him to take money for it. I mean, you couldn't even get him to take money to cover his own expenses. He always just provided all that stuff. Just an incredibly generous guy with regard to his cooking skills. And I would hear him often say, I've, I've been blessed by God. I've been so fortunate I just need to share it with other people. You ever done that? You get a bonus at work or something happens that's good and it brings some material blessing into your life and so you go down to the pub or you go down to the golf course and you just pay for everything for everybody because you just want to celebrate what's happened to you. That's the picture of what Jesus is describing here. God has been merciful to me. I want to share that with other people. You forgive people. When you do that, 
when you remember that you were separated from God by your own sin and that God in his mercy had compassion on us and wrapped himself in flesh to live with us, to suffer with humanity, to die for us. And he's granted us a mercy as a result that will last for all eternity. People who have experienced that forgiveness are the kind of people who forgive others. They demonstrate mercy to others. They run toward any opportunity to suffer with others because they realize whatever they are able to give, they've been given far more. And those people will be given far more. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. Some of you may know the name Corey Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian who, along with her father and sister, helped multiple Jews escape the Nazis from the Holocaust during World War II. Primarily, they did this through hiding them in their own home. It was kind of their own 20th century version of the Underground Railroad, trying to get them out of Germany, but hiding them for a particular period of time. They were eventually arrested. They were found guilty. And Corey was actually sent to a concentration camp. And she wrote a book after her release from that camp called The Hiding Place. And in that book, she tells a story about a, a date some years later after World War II. She was preaching at a church in Munich. And at the end of that service, she saw a very familiar face that brought back horrible memories for her. It was a man who was one of her first jailers. Now, at this moment, this man was a defendant against war crimes that he had committed. He was going on trial very soon. It would not be long after that that he would be found guilty of multiple war crimes. He'd be sent to prison for the rest of his life. And this man walked up to her in tears, thanking her for her message. And he said, it just brought me such hope to know that he has washed all my sins away. And with that saying, he reached out his hand to her to shake it. And for a lot of time, she just stood there, stiff, because she's normal. This man had imprisoned her. This man had been complicit in horrible war crimes against people she was trying to protect. And she said, by, by her own admission, angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me. Now, let me tell you at least part of why that is. Part of the reason she felt that way was because she had a sense of the justice of God. And we see that in Scripture as well. Human government, society is set up in such a way, when people commit atrocities like this, they should be punished, and we should see it as a good and right thing punished, up to and including the point that they have their own lives taken from them. That's justice. So, the need for justice is still there. Well, I'm not talking about whether or not this man needs to face punishment for his crime. That, that goes without saying. That's abundantly clear in Scripture. It's also abundantly clear that if, if there is injustice that causes him not to meet justice, he'll meet a more severe justice when he passes over to the other side. This isn't about justice for the vulnerable. This story, by Corey's own admission and testimony, was about what was going on inside her heart. That's a different matter. And she said, I had to realize Jesus died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? I tried to smile, struggled to raise my hand to shake his. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth 
or charity. And again, that's because she's normal. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. And then comes the question that made all the difference. Give me your forgiveness. Give me yours. And with that, she took his hand and she said, from my heart sprang a love for this stranger that overwhelmed me. Because she realized at that point, we've both been forgiven. That empowered her to view him differently, no longer as her captor, no longer as someone she needed to be vengeful toward. The justice of God will be settled in heaven, if not on earth. And in this case, it was going to be settled on earth. This man was going away for the rest of his life, as he should, for what he had done. But she didn't view him as a captor who was going to prison. All of a sudden, Jesus gives her this ability to see him for what he really was, a man helpless before the judgment of a holy God. And that produced a pity, which produced compassion, which came out in mercy. Let me ask you, who's God calling you to be merciful toward today? Who's he put in your path recently that no one wants anything else to do with? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men and women of God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that in this moment, those who maybe have not known your mercy, Lord, I don't know the state of people's souls, but you, Lord Jesus, know the state of every person in front of me. You know the spiritual state of everybody on the other side of that camera that's watching me right now. And you know whether they truly belong to you or whether they just look like they do. Father, those outward sort of obvious hints don't really cut it with you. And you have told us in your word that this, is, this essential ingredient must be ours because it demonstrates that we've received that same level of mercy. And so, Father, if there's anyone listening to me right now who does not know you, Father, may you invade their darkness with the light of the gospel and bring them to Jesus today. Father, for Christians who may be in the middle of a really contentious several months, all kinds of forces at work, Lord, may we, may we demonstrate mercy to each other. May we demonstrate mercy to our neighbors. Lord, may we be reminded that vengeance is yours. And may we, may we, Father, be a people unlike any other at this moment in history, a people who would react differently and who would emulate the person of Christ who came, who suffered, who died, for our sins. Father, may we be those people who run toward the trouble and toward the angst and toward the division in a way that brings you glory, that brings that ministry of reconciliation that your servant Paul talked about in his letter to the Corinthians. Lord, glorify us. May you glorify yourself, rather, through this body and the way that we serve you in the days ahead. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. 
if you're new to our area and looking for a church home. I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.